We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Second and ten. Call. End zone. He gets there. Touchdown. Amari Cooper. Taylor from the gun. Then as he throws, that ball is up in the air. Intercepted. Nate Allen's got the pick for the Raiders. First and goal. It's Murray. Touchdown, Raiders. A completely different team in the second half. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I'm Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder. That's Chris Kruger, my producer, and that was Ian Eagle from CBS Sports. Now, guys, in history, there have been a lot of memorable classes. I mean, you've got the fall of Rome, the London Bridge, the Soviet Union. All of these things come to mind. And the one I watched on Sunday from our Buffalo Bills feels almost as epic as all of those. It was pretty I mean, Chris, bad. It was brutal. It was pretty bad. I got to, I got into, I'm in Cincinnati. Well, how about that? We're, I'm in Cincinnati right now. Drew's in Buffalo. So we're bringing you the podcast from different cities because we're that dedicated. Remote recording, bitches. I, I was at Barley Corns by 115 to watch it with the Bills backers of Cincinnati. We had about, the game actually got moved to be shown locally in Cincinnati. So I don't think a whole lot of people came out for the game. I probably would have put it about 15 people at the bar. I tried the wings, a little soft, but they did get the heat right. Okay, so the Barley Corns, okay, so the Bills backers of Cincinnati, here you go. First off, wings? Chris, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put them? Uh, probably like a six and a half because they weren't as they weren't that crispy, but they got the heat right. And you know, like Friday before I left, I went to Doc Sullivan's in South Buffalo and I had heard about their wings and the wings I had at Barley Corns were better than the ones I had in Buffalo at Doc Sullivan's. The ones at Doc See, Sullivan's, there you go. I would, Doc Sullivan's, small I was gonna... and crispy, but they really had no heat and I got the hot, I got hot. Ah, see, that's one of the toughest things in the world is getting wings right outside of Buffalo. 
So at least you had that going for you on Sunday, watching us just just fall apart down the stretch there. I could only imagine. Like in the bar there. I mean, it was. There was only about 15 people there. Uh, There was a, a table of four that I don't know what their deal was, but they were in from Buffalo and then they were flying out of Cincinnati to go to Vegas and they were from Gowanda. And they were easily the most fun table to be around in the bar. The this the guy uh, I think his name was Tom from Gowanda, probably mid fifties. He was jumping up out of his chair, yelling at the TV, yelling at the refs. <laughs> it was <laughs> sounds like my kind of guy. Sounds like you oh, when right. you're fifty. We'll see. So at least you got a little bit, of, you know, a little taste of home. You know, some decent chicken wings, some people yelling at TVs, throwing chairs. So it's almost like watching a game with me, you know? So, so at least you couldn't have gotten too homesick. Guys, we got a ton of stuff to talk about tonight, and we're going to move right along to, as we do every week, the Buffalo Bills News Update. We're going to start it off. Percy Harvin has been placed on the NFI reserve list, and his season is officially over. Now, I feel like that literally has been the story of the Buffalo Bills season so far. I mean, that's pretty much par for the course, right? Absolutely. He he didn't even make it to two games, right? No. No, he didn't. It's, it's, it's incredible just how snake-bitten this team is by injury. For those of you who follow us on Twitter, you may have seen the, the, the tweet that I sent out last week. I took a look. I went to mangameslost.com. and took a look at you know, how many games the Bills had lost. In, in players, individual games by player for players that were missing or just hadn't been in the game or you know got sent to the IR. The Buffalo Bills have the ninth most games missed due to injury in the NFL. And we have the fifth most games missed due to injury, not injury, but due to a player being put on the IR. That is incredible because out of all of the teams who rank higher than us, only two of them have winning records. I mean, that pretty much sums up. For a team who doesn't have a solid quarterback, that pretty much tells the story of how our season's gone. You know, we're, we're desperate for playmakers, and unfortunately, we just haven't been able to find a way to get it done. Can you? you know? hey. And I think that injuries really have, as much as people are going to point at injuries and say, oh, that's an excuse. I mean, you look at it, stats like that can say a lot about just a season and about a football team. When we get so depleted at receiver and we make that call – to Percy Harvin, I mean, I completely understand you call him because he knows the system and the nuances of our offense. But, I mean, like, who else was out there to get? No, no, that's the thing. There was nobody. I mean, when you get so desperate that you're reaching out to guys who had retired just to see if they want to come back and play, you know your season's going in the wrong direction. Hey. You know that that's just a bad time. Hey, speaking of the dude that I used to work with, I impose that same question to him. Who else was out there for Buffalo to grab? And his first response was Calvin Johnson. Oh, my God. I, that I, guy's I, high. I, no, you can't that get him. on drugs. You can't get him. His he's, rights are still with Detroit. That guy's an idiot. Even I'm though sorry, but that guy... I know. You shouldn't be allowed to speak publicly. Like, I... I understand that everybody has a constitutional First Amendment right, but I would almost I want to put a bill together that says he should be stripped of his and sent to Guantanamo Bay. I mean, even though Calvin Johnson retired, his rights still remain with Detroit. 
Well, the fact is, guys, we've seen the last of Percy Harvin in a Bills jersey, and I'll be honest, I don't expect him to pick up playing again. I mean, I, I, this has to be the last hurrah for him, right? Like, he tried, he tried, it didn't work, and so now he's just going to ride up into the sunset, right? Because I can't imagine, after not being healthy for a whole season for the last seven or eight years, it feels like, I can't imagine he's going to try to try to strap it up anytime soon. And then another news, Ronald Darby has finally been cleared from the concussion protocol and should, I'm going to say that prohibitively, should be available to play with us this weekend. Considering what we saw on Sunday down the stretch, that's a great thing. Because with all the weapons Pittsburgh brings, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, we're going to need every man we can get on the field to help. I mean, I think not having Darby out there was a big blow because the drop-off in talent to cornerback Outside of Darby, I mean, not to take anything away from Kevon Seymour, he's a rookie. You, know, you can't ask a rookie to go cover Michael Crabtree or Amari Cooper. And you can't ask Corey White. I mean, he's a journeyman veteran for a reason. You know, he just doesn't have the size and the physicality to keep up with either one of those receivers. And you can't so I honestly, rely, you, I honestly, I was say, you can't rely on Corey White, as, who's mainly a veteran depth guy, to play a high percentage of snaps. No, you can't. And, you know, not to not that I'm putting Sunday's loss all on them, but I think that it, did, it definitely didn't help. You know, it definitely didn't help anything. And so, since we're on the subject, let's get this going, Chris. Get ready. It's time to rip the bandaid off that wound. We are going to discuss the Bills and Raiders game from Sunday afternoon. And as always, it starts out with the stats of the game. Bills fourth quarter points. Zero. Bill Sachs, zero. Bill's turnovers committed, two. Bill's turnovers received, zero. Tyrod Taylor's stat line, 191 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, a 55.8 QBR. Derek Carr. Wait, elite, elite Derek Carr. Elite. He's not. He's halfway there. I will give you that I've come halfway. 260 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a 97.3 quarterback rating. I mean, where, where do we even start talking about this one, Chris? I mean, I mean uh, it's, it's like last week. Last week was the tale of two halves. No, we played two halves of football like totally different football teams. This week, it was a rehash of that, except in opposite order. Yep. I mean, in the first half, we were electric. Our defense found a way to complain, contain that explosive offense over there for the Raiders. I mean, we held them to three field goals. And those field goals weren't easy chip shot field goals. I mean, luckily they have Janikowski, but I mean, those, those weren't easy. They were 50-plus yarders. And we held them. We controlled time of possession. We ran the ball with authority. McCoy and Gillisley both saw a lot of carries. You know, they both got in on the action, which was huge for us. I, we didn't have a single three-and-out possession in the first quarter. I mean, I, we punted, our first punt didn't come until there was seven minutes left. Yeah, that's And, I mean, at no point did we got at least one first down on every single drive in the first half. Yeah, that sounds about right. And for the second week in I, a row, dude... I predicted our opponent's score right on the Nuggets. I said 38. I hate you. And then Tyrod Taylor had a 69% completion percentage. 
we walked right into the halftime with the lead. But the Raiders did what good football teams do. They came out at halftime with a much better game plan, and I mean, they, they just ate us alive. They found, on offense, they found soft spots in their defense and just worked their way down the field multiple times. You know, it, it didn't, they didn't get that quick strike touchdown. You know, it wasn't like they got the 80-yard just, hey, someone got beat deep. They were methodical. They found a way to pick our defense apart. And you know, not only did they keep pace with us scoring at that point, but then they got the lead back. I mean, Sunday marked the ninth time that a Bills team, you figure in franchise history, that makes the ninth time that a Bills team has blown a 15 or more point lead in fewer than 10 minutes and gone on to lose the game. Oh, no! We suck again! And I mean, as soon as we lost the, the lead, Tyrod Taylor went out and did what he does best and showcased that he is incapable of bringing us back and keeping pace with a competitive offense. I mean, his completion percentage dropped to 41%. I mean, and then you want to talk about our defense. In the red zone, we held them. You know, they, they couldn't, I mean, they had trouble getting to our 20-yard line, but even when they did, late in the first half, we forced a field goal. We found a way to keep them out of the end zone. In the second half, in, in goal-to-go situations, we did not get a single stop. Not one. The 29 unanswered points? What the hell is that? What kind of defensive adjustments are you making at halftime? Or are you making on the fly when you see the offense that they're putting out there on the table? Like What, what are you doing on the sideline? I mean, when it gets down to it, we, I feel like I can hear, I can't remember his name, the fat black guy from the Arizona Cardinals. I can hear him in the back of my head screaming, they are who we thought we were, they were, and we let him off the hook. That was and Dennis that Green. Exactly I, that is exactly how I feel right now. And you can tell that the players are feeling this one. I mean, just listen to LaShawn McCoy talk about it in the, uh, the post-game press. Yeah, it's far. Uh, it sucks, man. It really does. There's some plays I missed today. Um, I wish I had back. I mean, it's, just, it's a weird game because uh, I felt like we did everything we could do early in the game. You know, second half came out, it was firing. You know, um, even like we we were in a zebra personnel, which is like a passing type of um, personnel. And they had like their base, you know, trying to stop us um, from running the ball. You know, we had some success and then just. It's collapsed. We couldn't move the ball. We couldn't do anything. Man, we had we started out with three drives and got the turnovers. And it was just like a super snowball effect, you know. And uh, as a team, you can't win like that, especially on offense. Shady McCoy, Sunday presser, buffalobills.com. Well, I mean, you hear it straight from the horses. I mean, he just sounds like a man whose dog just got killed in front of him. And you know what I think it is? is I think that, that's LaShawn McCoy realizing how big this game was and the fact that we really did let them off the hook. I mean, if we had just been able to, not even if we had kept scoring at the pace that we were, but if we had just been able to find a way to maintain, who knows? Who knows? Maybe we find a way to squeak out that win. And you can tell he knows how important that was. You know, maybe that's the sound of a guy who's realizing that he's not getting any younger. And there goes another season. Another season where LaShawn McCoy doesn't get to go compete for a championship. You know, another year without the playoffs. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's disappointing that it happened. I mean, it's just hearing it from him, though. I mean, it's, he sounds demoralized. 
right? Yeah, and I, I was on uh, AFC East Bros earlier tonight, and I and I and I kind of made this analogy. I was like, if our playoff drought, who's now going to be seventeen, was like a person, I don't think they would get like a thousand on the SAT. They'd have to end up going to community college or something. Some kind of trade school? Yeah, like what <laughs> I do. Not even, because I don't even know if they have the drought. Did you see that There's a they're selling jerseys? You know, Kyle from the AFC East Pro sent us a tweet earlier today with a picture. There's a website that's now selling custom, you know, you know, you can order custom bills here. Well, they just have one with the name drought on the back and the number 17. I'll you buy, can purchase it for $18. I'll buy the 18-year drought jersey. I'll just get ahead of the curve. Jesus. Uh, I mean, let's break down where this all came from. I mean, first and foremost, the one thing I watched when I was breaking down the tape, and just watching it as it was happening live on TV, lack of defensive pressure. Last week's show, I made a point of talking up the offensive line for the Raiders, and for good reason. I mean, look at them. They're maulers when they get going and when they're in a group. And on Sunday, they showed why they're one of the best in the NFL. Their centers and guards did an amazing job of keeping all the A-gap pressure away from Derek Carr. That's the one thing I noticed. If you looked in the second half when we were sending pressure, all of our rushers, first off, we we started sending three rushers and trying to put, as soon as they started getting their passing game working, we started dropping extra guys into coverage and tried to rush three, which is a mistake against an offensive line that's that good. And you saw it time and time again. Darius or Kyle Williams, whoever was playing the nose, would, would just get pushed like a double team. And then our edge rushers would just get washed completely out of the play. We generated no pressure, and that allowed Derek Carr to step right up into that pocket and deliver downfield throws, or at least buy him enough time to find us. You know, Michael Rivera. Michael Rivera is not a good tight end by any stretch of the. He's not a great tight end, but he was he was efficient and he was effective for them on Sunday because he just found all the soft spots in our coverage. And because Derek Carr had so much time, he could step right up in the pocket and go find. I mean, it was incredible the clinic that their offensive line put on, but we didn't, we didn't do ourselves any favors by not sending pressure. I think that our, our defensive coordinator got so wrapped up in this idea of trying to you know, put extra defenders out there on the field against the pass that we played directly into their strengths. And I think that that's not just a, not just a mistake on the, you know, you got players who aren't making plays, but I also think that that's a, it's an egregious error by our coaching staff. Because, again, you can't go into a game like that against a team with that kind of a record and that kind of firepower and then play into their strengths. You're not going to win like that. Yeah, it's clear that Oakland uh, made some great offensive adjustments at halftime, and they came out guns blazing second half. Oh, absolutely. And then when we did try to make adjustments from what we had done in the first half, we, made them, we went about them in the wrong way. And then on the flip side of the ball, you're talking about the offense. I'm sorry, and I know that this is going to sound like a, a broken record, but you know, you're talking in a, in a game where your running back gets 100, one of your running backs gets 191 yards from scrimmage. Okay? At that point, if you're not scoring and you're not winning, it's probably because your quarterback had a shitty game. And that's exactly what I saw. The Bills fell into a hole, and Taylor was incapable of stepping up his play in order to keep us in the game. His lack of vision, okay, let's start there. It was at its peak. Multiple occasions, he just missed wide-open receivers. CBS kept replaying over and over and over again. 
wide open Sammy Watkins, waving his arms in the air, running towards the end zone, only to see Tyrod Taylor force a pass for an incompletion to the other side of the field. He just does not have the requisite vision that it takes in order to play the quarterback position. It's just like you said last week. He's a see it, then throw it. Well, and and then the problem with that is that that, that's fine if you're going to see it and then throw it, but you have to see it. You have to see you have to see Sammy Watkins wide open in that position. You have to. So the fact is, is that you're locking onto one receiver, and then when your checkdown isn't there, you're just throwing it there anyway. That's that's ridiculous. It is absolutely inexcusable for an NFL caliber quarterback. Which leads me to question whether or not he is. And I'm sorry, there's a lot of people who are Tyrod Taylor apologists. I've tried to avoid really going out of my way to bag on the guy this year, but I'm I've had it. That was just egregious to me. It's disgusting to think that we have a... Trent Edwards could have put up the same... There's probably a million other backup quarterbacks throughout the NFL who could do the same job Tyrod Taylor did this week. I mean, I mean am I right or am I wrong, Chris? No, he had a, another horrible game, and he's just playing himself out of this extension at the end of the season. I mean, LaShawn McCoy finished the day as the team's leading wide receiver. That right there tells you. This, this, you know, the deep passing game, the chemistry with uh, Watkins that we all talk about, yeah, he can get it every now and again, but he's not going to generate that consistently enough to keep you in football game. He's not going to do it. He's checking everything down, and thank God he has LaShawn McCoy. Thank God he has LaShawn McCoy there, because if not, his numbers would probably be a lot worse. Pro Football Focus gave Tyrod a grade of 65.8 and made note of the fact that when he was under pressure, his, his, his rating as a passer dropped to 15.4. They also pointed out that he held the ball way too long on multiple occasions, which resulted in three sacks. Okay, of his four sacks, three of them were simply because he didn't get the ball out in under three seconds. One of the most frustrating things, there's a, there's a, you know, we're marching, we're making some progress, we're on their side of the 50, and there's a play where we snap the ball, and Tyrod's scrambling. He's scrambling, and he's scrambling, and he's scrambling, and finally he tries to run away, but it's way too late, and he gets swallowed up for a sack. So I take, I take a look at that, and I say to myself, why the hell did he throw the ball away? Just throw it away. If you know that you don't have a play, that there's nothing there to be made, get rid of the ball then. Just get rid of it. Eat it. You know, don't, don't compound it by taking a, a bigger negative play on top of it. Yet that's what he does. Hey, he just does it. it doesn't feel like he has the awareness to play the quarterback position. Hey, I feel like I feel like this season Tyrod has drastically reduced in when he doesn't see something, he'll scramble but stay behind the line to make a throw and not use his ability with his legs and just take off. Like, okay, you don't have anything. I want to see you take off because that's what you're good at is running. He still hasn't figured out how to be effective enough with his arm to bring our team back from any sort of deficit. Okay? It's just he, he just hasn't figured out. You can continue saying that maybe he needs time. Maybe he needs more of this. Maybe he needs more of that. Maybe he needs more weapons. He needs a better, better play calling. The fact is, is that from the eye test, he looks more like an athlete trying to play quarterback than an 
athletic quarterback. Does that does that make sense? That makes sense to me. I mean, I feel like we're even though we're in the top ten score, we're in the top ten for scoring in the NFL. But I feel like we're doing it all despite Tyrod Taylor, not because of him. And that's a problem for a guy who's looking at a thirty million dollar extension. And then <clears throat> that brings me right up to the next point. You want to talk about the extension? The most disappointing part. After all the stuff that I talked about for the last 10, 15 minutes, about all the things that you know, pissed me off, the defensive lapses, the play calling, the fact that our cornerback play broke down in that second half, that's, that's another thing I didn't touch on. The cornerbacks, I mean, they tried, but they, they can only keep those receivers. Those, I mean, they've got dynamic receivers on their team. You can only keep those guys covered for so long. Our cornerbacks, I think, did a good job early on, and even in the second half, they did a good job for the first three to four seconds. But you can't keep those guys covered forever. And so, unfortunately, you know, they got exposed to the fact that we had no pressure and their quarterback is accurate. Ultimately, what we're looking at is a, we're looking at a game in which we did a ton of things wrong. And out of all the things that should disappoint me about this, the thing that disappoints me the most didn't take place on the field, but in the post-game press conference. Because when asked by the media about Tyrod struggling in the game, and another blown lead, and another game lost, that a more comp- competent quarterback might have been able to step in and win for us. This is what Rex had to say. Oh, look, I think if, uh, you know, well, let's just let this play out. We, we feel pretty comfortable with Tyrod. There, there's a lot of factors that go into to everything. Obviously, their quarterback is, is, I don't know how many fourth quarter things he's brought back this year, but it's a whole bunch of them and another one today. Um, but with that being said, um, you know, there's there's other factors that go into it. What are some of those factors that are preventing him? I'm not going to go into a list. I'm you guys can figure it out. Rex Ryan, post game press conference at buffalobills.com. I mean that right there. Okay, in a week that saw Eagles coach Doug Peterson call out his players for not giving a hundred percent in their loss, they're just calling them out, saying, "Listen, there's guys who aren't playing hard enough. There's guys who aren't pulling their own weight." And we can't win football games like that. And when asked what he was going to do about it, he said, you'll see. You've got Jay Gruden reportedly just lighting his team up in the locker room after their loss, in which they didn't show up with any energy and failed to execute when it mattered. The reports were coming out. Jay Gruden talking about how he, he could be heard by reporters from outside the closed doors of the locker room, just lighting his team up. Okay? It's disappointing that our coach is still trotting out the company line. Both he and Tyrod keep repeating that it was a quote-unquote lack of execution that affected the offense. I mean, someone tell me how it is week after week, the story remains the same, yet no one calls out Tyrod specifically for his lack of execution and how he himself seems to take so little accountability for it. It's absolutely absurd. You combine that with last week's post-game comments about how he doesn't play the game for the people watching or critiquing it, I'm sorry, but I end up at a place where I'm just sick and tired of Tyrod Taylor. Take your shitty attitude and your lack of accountability. Then. If, if you're not going to come out and admit that you did, that's the thing. I never hear him say, hey, I got to be better. This is my fault. I did this wrong. You know who I hear that stuff from? I hear it from guys like Ben Roethlisberger. I hear it from guys like Andrew Luck. I hear it from a lot of some, some of the best quarterbacks in football have no problem taking the podium and saying, hey, I didn't do enough for my football team to win. Does Derek Yet Carr do that? Tyrod, 
I don't know because he doesn't <laughs> lose that much. I, it's just it disgusts me that there's no, that there's not more outrage about that. Because I know that you look at a football team, and if you have a coach who knows his quarterback is struggling and isn't willing to call him out, he's expecting the guy to maybe take some accountability for it. You know, be accountable in the media, be accountable, take some of the pressure off your teammates. Don't keep saying, quote unquote, there's just a lack of execution. Say, it's my lack of execution. You know, take the mouse out of your pocket for a second and, and, and own it. But he never does. And it drives me insane. Okay. I'm, I'm reaching, I'm getting close to see, I'm reaching a point where I don't, uh, I'm not going to care whether or not I see anymore. I mean, do you think that that's, am I, am I going overboard here, Chris? No, am I, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I mean, the whole off season and throughout the season, I've always stated that I'm not that big of a Tyrod fan and he's proving it. He's proving Everything that I've said throughout the whole season and in the off season, he's just not good. <sighs> I'm going to take a step back off the ledge here, guys, because there is one. There's a silver lining from Sunday's game that I'd like to point out, and that's the fact that game in, game out, whether our quarterback struggles or not, we have the most dominating rushing attack in football. Okay. We averaged, it didn't matter who was running the football. As a team, we averaged 7.1 yards per carry. You've got Shady McCoy, who accounts for 191 yards of scrimmage, yards from scrimmage for us in that game. Gillisley, that guy's a hammer. You know, I got excited every time I saw him in the backfield because I knew that we were going to get at least two yards, two, three yards. He runs extremely hard, and yet it seems like he picks his crease as well. You know what I mean? When, when you see him on that touchdown run, the first touchdown run, he picked the right hole, powered through the arm tackles, and found a way to get in. I mean, that's, that's what we need to complement Shady's running style. I mean, if, there's a, if there's any bright spot for our season, it's that I think we have a legitimate one-two punch now. It's not just Shady. I think we can start leaning more and more on Gillisley as a legitimate weapon for this offense. Yeah, what do you think? It's more it's with Gillisley and, and Shady McCoy. It's like a like a thunder and lightning style of running game. You get a flash and dash from Shady, and when you need you know a one cut and up the field, you can get it from Mike Gillisley. And you know I, you know I echo your uh, thought process on getting Gillisley the ball more and then finishing the game off with Shady. And, then, and one of the things I want to point out, a name that people forget is Jonathan Williams. Jonathan Williams, when he's been given carries this season, hasn't looked bad. You know, he, he's looked pretty good as a running back. So to know that we have Jonathan Williams as a three, that we've got a guy like Gillies Lee as a two to complement LaShawn McCoy's running style, and then we've obviously got McCoy, there's things to build on. It's, it's just going to be up to the coach and the GM to get the most out of the rest of the offense to keep pace with them. Because if so, I, I, the sky's the limit for this offense. At least as it's constructed right now. <sighs> Thank God we're almost done talking about this football game. <laughs> and that gets us, folks, to our hero and zero of the week. And obviously, I just spent a lot of time talking about my hero of the game has got to be LaShawn McCoy. Because they're winners. I mean, winners get game to do what they want. Any game when you've got a running back who goes for over 100 yards rushing, throws in enough passing yardage. I mean, 
in the first half, people kept, you know, I had a friend of mine at work today ask, he goes, oh, we're, you know, oh, we kept, you know, we, we were really blocking the hell out of Khalil Mack. He didn't make any plays until the end of the game. That's not true. If you watch the tape, what you'll see is that we, we did what we needed to do to keep, it's kind of like what I said uh, last week's show, to keep Khalil Mack honest. That's what you need to do. You need to stop him from being able to, or at least being so ready to pin his ears back and just rush into the backfield. So to do that, there was, a, there was more than a couple plays where they sent LaShawn McCoy out into the flat and waited, kind of almost baited Khalil Mack into coming into the backfield and then threw over the top, or just over the top of him or behind him. He's not going to catch LaShawn McCoy. I mean, he's a freak athlete, don't get me wrong, but he's, he's not the type of athlete that's going to run down LaShawn McCoy. And so for that first half, the more they ran and threw at him, it, it, I don't know, I think it kept him tentative. Once we got out of that, got out of that mindset, got out of that, you know, that mindset on offense, that's when you saw Khalil Mack really start to come in and make flash plays. So, I mean, I think LaShawn McCoy's performance was huge. He's been great for us all season, but specifically in this game. And I think he was instrumental in keeping Khalil Mack off of Tyrod Taylor for as long as he did. And then we've got the zero of the week. And that, that award is going to go to whoever the hell called the goddamn Wildcat at the start of the second half. You blew it! That moronic call caused me, I swore I was going to be good. We had company over, everyone was having a good time. That call caused me to launch a chair. I didn't mean to, it was involuntary, I knocked it over. It was, I'm sorry, but to call the Wildcat, when your offense is averaging out of traditional running formation, you're keeping the defense honest that they have to pin their safeties back because they have to respect the throw to Sammy Watkins. We're averaging 7.1 yards a carry. And then you, you pull out this amateur horseshit call that doesn't get us any significant yardage and puts Tyrod Taylor in a third and long situation. He obviously can't convert it because he struggled the entire game with that in the second half. And then we punted. They came right back down the field and scored again. And that visually... That was the turning point of, the, of our day on offense. Because Carr and the Raiders scored on back-to-back possessions and then just took away our ability to control the tempo of the game with our rushing attack after that. I mean, Chris, did anyone in the bar that you were at, or what, what were your thoughts when you saw that get rolled out? I mean, the game was pretty tough to watch. We did have one Raiders fan upstairs, and we were, we were I was giving him crap for because he's got an elite quarterback and. And we don't, but I mean, you know, second half, Khalil Mack shows up. You heard it in the intro, got a hit on Tyrod Taylor's arm, and we threw a red zone interception that eventually went to a Latavius Murray touchdown. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm sorry, but I feel like just just from, I don't care about stats. I'm throwing that out the window for a minute. The moment we pulled that out and it flopped and ended up killing our drive, it just seemed like that drive right there just took all the air right out of our offense. And we never really recovered after that. I mean, we didn't string more than a first down or two together after that one attempt. I feel like we had a shot, and I don't know what it was. It's just, you could see the team just kind of, I don't know, fall in on themselves. It's, it was a hell of a thing to see. And I swear to God, if I have to see any more Wildcat in short yardage situations, yeah, sure, roll it out there. But when you're doing that well, when you're doing that well on offense, just out of traditional formations, there is no excuse. 
you don't see the Patriots come out and run the Wildcat, do you? No. Uh, what happened to that old saying, if it's not broke, don't fix it? Yeah. You don't see winning football teams calling the Wildcat. So why are we doing it? I think that answer, I, that, that question is rhetorical and pretty much answers itself. Ooh. Guys, killing me here. So, as always, we're going to move on. Take a look around the AFC East and see how everyone else did in our a- this week's AFC East Roundup. The Patriots, as everyone ex- expected, crushed the Rams. I mean, they just kicked the hell out of the Rams. The final score doesn't actually tell the story of how not close that game was. But, I mean, the, the real comedy from that game uh, it doesn't come from what happened on the field. I mean, the Rams played pretty much uninspired football. For the entire game. But Rams fans should be excited. Jeff Fisher got a two-year extension. <laughs> and the best part is, he apparently signed up for it weeks ago. He, it's apparently been signed for weeks. And it just now got leaked to the public that this is happening. That might be probably one of the funnier storylines of the entire day. You know, I heard it announced around 8 a.m., which means that it was still too early for a lot of the Rams fans out on the West Coast to see it. But when they woke up, their reactions were absolutely priceless. If you go to www.12up.com and search Jeff Fisher, you'll see an article. They were, they were taking the best of all of the tweets from Rams fans about the extension. It's hilarious. California, here's one from PF, at PFT Commenter. California should include a am a Rams fan as acceptable condition for getting medical marijuana. <laughs> I mean, some of, <laughs> some, of these, some of these tweets are just fantastic. You know, there's one of Jesse from Breaking Bad just screaming he can't keep getting away with it. Let's see. Oh, it's hilarious. So, at Ramblin Fan says, extending Jeff Fisher is like eating a bowl of cereal that you know has shards of glass. Hashtag Rams. That's something that you would say. Oh, absolutely. 12upsports.com. Breaking Rams send a huge middle finger to Eric Dickerson and extend Jeff Fisher. Oh, man. I mean, and then at, at Tailgate Society, Jeff Fisher has nudes of the entire Rams front office. I mean, that has to be the only explanation, right, Rams fans? Jeff Fisher ha- has the prestigious title as he is tied for second, second in all-time, not, not even just active coaches, all-time coaches, he's tied for second with career losses. He could actually hit that mark before Christmas here over the next few weeks. So you mean to tell me that the Rams signed an extension for the most losing coach in NFL history? Chris, for as, bad, for as bad as things are here in Buffalo right now, can, can we just agree that, you know, thank God we're not Rams fans? Yes. And that's, that's absurd. And then, moving on to the Dolphins. The Dolphins went, to, went down to Baltimore to play the Ravens. Now, last week, we talked about it, and I said, you know, the back half of the schedule for the Dolphins is pretty tough. And our guest kind of alluded to the fact that the Dolphins typically have, you know, a December collapse that usually results in them missing the playoffs. 
they did absolutely nothing to dispel that this week. I mean, they, they took their six-game winning streak, tore it up and threw it in the air like confetti, losing 38-6 to six in Baltimore. They were absolutely embarrassed on both sides of the football. I mean, Reed, Reed and I were watching the game together, and we were joking about how their, their defense is making Joe Flacco look like a serviceable quarterback. Like he, for weeks now, he hasn't looked good. I he couldn't do anything wrong this past weekend. I mean, every decision he made was a good one. He was just, there was receivers getting open for him. They give up chunk yardage both to the ground game and through the air. And even though Jay Ajay did everything he could to try to keep him in it, I mean, they went into halftime down by 24 points. I mean, then... <sighs> That was a perfect opportunity for the Bills to get back into the thick of the playoff race with Miami just taking a beating like that. And I bet you that after all the games, including the, the opener to the Ravens, that Jets game, that this is another game that we're going to look back at as a missed opportunity when the season's all said and done. I feel like any time that we're in the hunt, it comes down to that. Our in-conference games always screw us. Oh, yeah, because... Well, and I've said it, and I said it after the, after the Raiders game was over. One of the staples of Bills football in the month of December is watching a team come, you know, watching the team get ready to play the Buffalo Bills, who just looks like they want to win more than we do. You know, t- generally speaking, we're coming into every December on the ropes, you know, desperate for some wins, you know, no, knowing full well that we have to string some wins together. And yet, every time it comes to that week, you know, week 13, week 14, week 13 game, 12 game, that the team we're playing just simply wants to win more than we do. And we just, it's like, we, I mean, I give, them, I give them props for at least having a handle on that Raiders game early. But like the last time when we, are, we still had some playoff hope, we went to the Raiders, we went out to Oakland to go play them and got our heads kicked. I mean, that is the epitome of Bills football in December. But hey. It's, it's incredible how year after year it's the same story. Hey. But at least we're not the New York Jets. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> He's being real liberal with the Nelson, but you know what? I love it. Oh, if any game of this week out of all, out of all the games that got played deserved that, it's not even the Dolphins game. In hilarious fashion, the Jets went out and just shit all over themselves on Monday Night Football in front of one of the smallest crowds in recent history, losing 41 to 10 to the Colts. Hey, I think... And if you're looking for... I, I was going to tell you, I, I think it's one of their, like, it's their worst loss since the 70s or something. It's like their wor- well, the worst loss in no like 30 years. It. It's a good thing that no one was there to see it. Now, for those of you who might not have heard the stories or seen the posts on uh, Twitter and CBS.com, there were, there were tickets. So few people had purchased tickets to go to that game. There was, the team was selling tickets for anywhere from 10 to $12. If you were to go on StubHub last night, you, for $15, you could have gone out and gotten a ticket, you know, probably 15 rows from the field in the back of the end zone on the scoreboard side. $15, Chris. Hey, guess what? I mean, there was, there, there was people giving their tickets away for free that couldn't get rid of them. Hey, you know what we should do then? Last game of the season. What's that? We should go 
Stay with Gary. Oh, impromptu road trip. Impr- yeah, impromptu road trip. We'll go stay with Gary. I'll decorate his place because he can't do that. And then we'll all go to the game because tickets will be super cheap. That's hilarious. It's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. But, I mean, you want to talk about the Jets game, okay? This game had all of the elements of an epic tire fire. Three first-half touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, Dwayne Allen, I thought it was a typo. I thought they were replaying the first touchdown he caught when he caught his second one. And then when I saw it a third time, I thought it was a replay of the second one. No, they allowed Dwayne Allen three touchdown catches in the first half. One of them, there was nobody within 15 yards of him in any direction. He was wide open. It's probably the easiest touchdown catch he'll ever have in his career. They, won, they, they, they couldn't get anything going in the first half on offense. And you're talking about a defense that's the Colts' defense. They're not exactly scaring anybody. I mean, there was a play where they lined up for it on third and short. I think it was third and two. And some no-name linebacker that I've never heard of whose nickname is Pound Cake. I don't know. <laughs> His nickname is Pound Cake. Just split the line untouched and just tackled Matt Forte for a two-yard loss in the back. They were just grossly inept on both sides of the ball. And then I think one of the funniest things, okay, they come out after halftime, and you can see their coach, Todd Bowles. Looks like he's given this impassioned speech. He's got Leonard Williams there. He's got Darrell Reeves. He's got Sheldon Richardson. Some of the linebackers are standing around. And he's given this real impassioned speech about, and you can tell he's dropping F-bombs. You know, you can tell he's animated. But, you know, we're going to go out here, and we're going to kick some ass, and we're going to get back in this football game. Rah, 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 rah. And they immediately give up a drive for a touchdown. I mean, it's just unbelievable how bad – how did things get so bad for them? It's their roster. I mean, I – This middle well, And that's the worst part. What were you going to say, Chris? I said middle-aged roster. Yeah, Revis is old. Uh, they're, they don't know what they're doing with as far as, like, uh, their uh, defensive line. Isn't, like, Wilkerson or Richardson, their contract's up and probably won't get re-signed? Richardson. Wilkerson's already been re-signed to a deal. So a friend, of, a friend of mine and I were talking before the podcast just about the Jets. You know, we were laughing about the, the Monday Night Football game. He lost because his, his, the guy he was playing started Dwayne Allen, and he was up by 22 points, so he didn't assume he could lose, which obviously Dwayne Allen's put on a show. But one of the most damning things about the Jets, again, for anybody here who you know, has any bitches about the Bills roster, and the way we're going about handling business. The Jets are a team that now, they don't have an answer at quarterback. I mean, they think Christian Hackenberg might be able to develop into something. I mean, they've, they've got, they haven't come out and just said that they don't have any hope for him, obviously, because they're not going to do it. They just drafted the kid. But the fact that he hasn't been willing to, he hasn't even been able to dress for a game yet, tells you what they think of his accuracy. So, so they don't know if they have an answer at quarterback. The quarterbacks they do have aren't very good. They've got one blue-chip wide receiver who's at the tail end of his career. They've got another receiver who's coming off of a serious shoulder surgery and just isn't... I mean, Decker didn't look like Decker this year. I think the shoulder was bothering him a lot more than he he wants to let on. But he's not a spring chicken either. What is he, 26, 27 years old? Then you've got a defense that I don't know what they're doing. I mean, you're talking about a defensive line that's, I mean, that's always been the strength of the team. You draft Leonard Williams, 
you re-sign Mo Wilkerson, you've got Sheldon Richardson playing outside linebacker, which he's not really fit for. I mean, that's just not where you should be. He should be an interior, you know, interior defensive lineman. He's probably not going to. They, they probably don't have the cap room to pick up his money you know, to pick up his, an extension for him. And I don't know that they want to, considering how much they've been flopping him around, trying to find a position for him. He just hasn't been as productive as he has. I mean, you're talking about a former defensive rookie of the year. Remember Chris when he beat out Kiko Alonso for that award? Vaguely. And now, <laughs> and now Sheldon Richardson, he's he's kind of he just hasn't produced for that defense. Then you look at their secondary. I mean, because that's the thing. It was always supposed to be their defense would keep them in football. You've got a secondary where Darrell Revis, I mean, he, again, another guy who's at the end of his career. You know, he's probably got another year or two left in him, but I think his days of being truly elite are gone. They don't really have much of safety. Kelvin Pryor is either always, he's either injured or he's just not as effective in pass coverage as you need a, a safety that you took in the first round to be. Their cornerbacks, I mean, besides him, they can't really, they've had some trouble cultivating cornerback depth. And then you used your first round draft pick on Darren Lee. Okay? I, I will maintain that that was, a, that, that was a terrible pick. I will maintain that that was a terrible pick because he's too small to play an inside linebacker role in that type of a defense. You know, that's a defense where you need some thumpers in there. And I think, you know, you see games where they struggle against the run with a running back like Frank Gore. Well, that's how it happens. You know, a guy like Darren Lee trying to take on blockers. It's not going to work. And then their offensive line is, again, devoid. All the playmakers that they still have are aging. Nick Mangold, he's at the end of his career. Ryan Clady, if he comes back from his knee injury, he's at the end of his career, too. The the Brickishaw Ferguson retired. I don't know what that team is. Even the running backs, Matt Forte, old at the end of his career. They seem like a team that's almost gearing up for a complete rebuild. But at the same time, they just hired a new coach. And last season, they were a 10-win football team. So, I mean, for everyone out there who has a gripe about the Buffalo Bills and the way our roster is and thinks that the sky is falling, at least, I mean, I think that <laughs> at least we're not the Jets. All right? Take that and tuck it under your pillow at night. Oh, Chris, how are things over there in Kentucky? Let's shake this out for a second before we keep plowing ahead here into the rest of the podcast. How are things? Are you in Kentucky or are you in Ohio? I am in Florence, Kentucky, which is about 12 miles south of Cincinnati. Paul Brown Stadium is literally on the Ohio River, which is the border of Ohio and Kentucky. So Cincinnati is literally in Kentucky. And I, you know, I'm here for training for work with Mazak, so I've been crushing programming with the uh, four other guys in my class. From uh, one's from Oklahoma, one is from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and two others are from Missouri, or as they say it, Missouri. Oh yeah, I forgot it's Missouri there. It's not Missouri. Oh yeah, so how's the <laughs> So what time? What time of day are you getting up and going to all that? Like, are you getting up early? Or are you getting up later? No, it's all eight eight thirty to four thirty is, is the classes. Oh, that's got to be nice. You're you're usually at work by five o'clock, right? Yeah, I do. I do four ten hour days at my job, and I'm going to be leaving here Friday afternoon and coming 
into two feet of snow, which I hope will be there <laughs> Sunday for Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be beautiful. So that brings us, you know, let's since you brought it up, let's move right along into the uh, Bill Steelers Week 14 preview. Game time, 1 p.m. in New Era Field. The game's gonna be carried on CBS. Uh, early weather report. There's going to be snow and it's going to be cold, but it's not going to be windy, which is paramount for anybody out there in the stands, hanging out, you know, doesn't want to freeze their asses off. For as cold as it is without the wind, we should all be okay. The early betting line right now is Pittsburgh is a two-point favorite. Okay? And right now it doesn't look like there's any significant injuries to either team that really bear watching. I mean, Laurenti McRae, you know, Ron Darby's coming out of the concussion protocol. I mean, that was the only major one I could think of. And Laurenti McRae was put in the concussion protocol this, this week. So, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see who fills his shoes as far as special teams and things like that go. But you know, all in all, I mean, we're coming into this game as healthy as we can expect to be at this point in the season. So I want to start off our preview by saying this. The Pittsburgh Steelers are a pain in my ass. Throughout my life as a Bills fan, they always seem to be there just waiting to ruin things. I, I mean, the, the game in the early 2000s when they played nothing but backups and all we had to do was win, but some jerk-off named Willie Parker showed up and just decided to carve out a niche in, for himself as a starter in the NFL. I mean, that was... I, I was sick about that. I, I was sick about that loss for a week and a half. I was just devastated. And then you take a look back... The Steelers have beaten us nine out of the last ten times, going all the way back to 1993. And during that time span, they've outscored us 248 points to 117. So why should we believe that Sunday's going to do anything to buck that trend? You know, speaking of the Steelers, I can tell you that one of my favorite games, although it's, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's favorite in the sense that the Steelers... The last time we played them, I believe that was the first time I had ever watched a football game with you at good times where E.J. Manuel just stunk the place (laughs) up. And how much, on a scale of 1 to 10, how was my profanity, considering we were out in public? 11. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, That's why, folks, the bar in my basement exists. Because it's one of the few places that, and, and luckily for me, Good Times is my bar, so they don't really kick me out. But I tell you, it, there's a lot of places I won't go to watch the game, just because I don't want that kind of pressure, and I don't want to put other people in that position. I don't want to subject anyone else to me watching those types of football games. So let's let's take a look and just kind of dig in here a little bit to find out what we can about the Pittsburgh Steelers in advance of this football game. I mean, on the offensive side of the ball. They're, they've won seven foot, you know, the winners of seven football games. But is that real or is it a mirage? And I ask that question. Now, you see it on the stat sheet. You look at the wins and loss columns. You'd think that the Steelers are on fire, right? And I, and I really don't want to diminish their accomplishments at all because they're a quality NFL team. They've got a solid quarterback, and they're coming off a dominating performance against the New York Giants. But I... I and let's just take a look at some things here. So first off, they started the season 3-1. and one. 
since week five, they've got four wins, but three of them have come against teams with either a tied or a losing record. They've been held under 20 points in all but one of their losses this season. The only game that they didn't completely get shut down on offense that they lost was the game against the Cowboys. And they even found a way to piss that away at home. All of their losses include at least one turnover. And until recently, they've been a very different football team than they are you know, on the road than they are at home. You figure, okay, so th- 13 games, the Pittsburgh Steelers have scored 290 points. 168 of those have come at home, and 122 of them have come on the road. Now, the thing that sways back into their favor were, you figure, they had road games against a Colts team that had a quarterback, Scott Tolzian. Scott Tolzian is not a quality NFL I wouldn't even say that he's a decent backup quarterback. So that game turned into a blowout simply because this, the, the Colts couldn't possess the ball for long enough to keep Pittsburgh out of the end zone. And then they, they had a game against 2016's Pinata of the Year award winner, the Cleveland Browns. If you take those two games out of the equation, you're left with them being outscored on the road by a margin of 101 to 70. I mean, that's, that's a whole football game's worth of points, Chris. I believe that this weekend, if the snow shows up, I think that's going to hamper some of the things that Pittsburgh likes to do. Well, I'll tell you what it probably won't hamper is the rushing attack. Okay? I mean, you're talking about the Le'Veon Bell show. Everybody playing fantasy football probably knows this already, but Bell started the season kind of slow. You know, he had a monster game out of the gate. Putting, I think he put up 144 yards rushing or something like that on the Kansas City Chiefs. But since then, he didn't crack 100 yards rushing again until week 11. And he's only got four touchdowns on the year. But you look at, okay, so the, the Steelers are coming off a three, they're on a three-game win streak right now. His performance and his ability to get going in the running game has been a huge part of that win streak. Over the past three games, he's averaging 128 yards rushing and at least 47 yards receiving. He scored three of his season's four touchdowns. I mean, he's, you, you look at what's keeping them, you know, why their offense is surging the way that it is, it's because Le'Veon Bell has finally got going. Now, I don't know if that has to do with the health of their offensive line, you know, I know that they had some issues with that early on in the season. You know, and obviously Big Ben, he also wasn't healthy. He was coming off a knee injury there, you know, that game that they ended up losing to the Patriots at home. So he hasn't exactly been 100% either. But I think that I know everyone points to their passing attack, and everyone loves that part of their game because they, they see Big Ben, and they see all the throws he can make. But I think if we have any shot at winning the game, then it's going to be a lot like the game plan against the Raiders. If you let their running game get going and give their offense balance, they will absolutely destroy our defense. So you've got to try to find a way to keep Le'Veon Bell in check. Yeah, I think it's gonna. I think with the weather's, it's gonna put the running game at a premium for both teams. Which I might say we have a little bit of an upper hand when it comes to our offensive line play. Well, I think not only do we have a better offensive line, but I think that we have a better trio of running backs than what the Steelers can put together. So we can, hopefully, this last week's performance by Gillisley was enough to trust for our offensive coordinator to trust him with more carries. Save LaShawn McCoy for the fourth quarter or third quarter when we need him to be dynamic. You know what I mean? When we need a guy who's fresh to come in and make some plays for us. Because I guarantee you, they're going to score points. 
So we have to make sure that we can do the same thing, and a lot of it's going to have to come through the running game because Tyrod's proven he can't do it in the passing game. And so you know, we were talking about the passing game and you know how Pittsburgh's going to score points. They do a lot of it through the air. I mean, a lot of it. I mean, you just take a look at, again, this Kyle, uh, our friend Kyle so <laughs> famously pointed out, when it comes to their offense, they have eight rushing touchdowns in the season and 26 passing touchdowns. I mean, that's, that's more than three times the number of rushing touchdowns because that's where most of their, their scoring offense comes from. Now, I thought that the NFL caught a break when Martavius Bryant was suspended for the entire season. You know, I thought that that was a win for the rest of the AFC considering how many deep touchdown passes he caught last season. Then Sammy Coates and Eli Rogers, who I didn't even know their names, other than Sammy Coates played for Auburn. Yeah, it's, it's, I didn't know their names. Or Eagle. And then starting week one, they came out of no, they came out of nowhere and showed that they can be playmakers for their offense. I mean, look at the depth charts they have on wide receiver. Okay, we're going to start Coates. Sammy Coates is a deep threat. He averages twenty-one yards per completion. The only thing holding him back is the fact that he's got suspect hands. I mean, his catch-to-target ratio is only 40%. He's caught, out of the 45 throws Ben Roethlisberger's made to him, he's only caught 20 of them. I mean, what was that game you were watching with me when he dropped, uh, oh, he had like two or three just really bad drops. One of them was right in the end zone. I, don't know. I think that was the game he scored his first touchdown, but he could have had three of them. Yeah, because I totally killed my fantasy team. And then you've got Eli Rogers. He kind of works the underneath routes. You know, he's a slot receiver. He comes out, he only averages 11 yards per completion. And he really only averages two more catches a game than Coates. I, I mean, each Coates and Rodgers are looking at, you know, they, they've got 300 yards receiving, they each get three to four catches per game. So neither one of those guys are, you know, Coates is your more explosive downfield guy. Eli Rodgers, he's going to work underneath routes in the slot. They don't really use him up the seams a whole lot. They save that for Darius Hayward Bay. Now, he doesn't get a whole lot of playing time. He doesn't, which, I mean, is hilarious considering he was a former first-round draft pick of the Raiders. But a lot of that's just because he's never really developed into an all-around wide receiver. I mean, his, his route tree is very limited. He's really only useful for go routes. You know, go routes, curl routes. He can do some comebacks, but that's, that's about it. You, you rarely ever see Darius Hayward Bay going over the middle of the field. So what, what he can do is expose a group of safeties, you know, especially you know, kind of like Amari Cooper did late in the game. We don't have the type of safeties who can lock down receivers. And so a guy with his speed can definitely expose us if he gets lost in our coverage. You know, a broken play, cornerback makes the wrong read. That's all it would take. And I mean, he's a, he's a guy who's proven that he can catch those fly route balls for touchdowns. I feel like I think ultimately I, each one. I was gonna say. You gonna say Chris? I was gonna say. I feel like the Pittsburgh's passing game. You kind of have the the best of of everything when it comes to throwing the ball. Like you're gonna ha- you can have Antonio Brown go all over the field, whether it's deep, intermediate route, short route. You got Eli Rogers. He can run underneath routes. You need to throw a deep ball. You can go to either. Darius Hayward Bay because he's got the speed and Sammy Coates like what you just alluded to his uh, his uh, percentage is he gets what twenty one yards 
a catch or whatever. He's known oh, yeah, for going yeah. deep. You can go near the catch. anywhere. You can go anywhere on the field with these Pittsburgh receivers. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. This this supporting cast is part of the reason why Antonio Brown is so dangerous. I mean, you want to talk about Antonio Brown? He does. I mean, that's what he does best is just being a great all around wide receiver. You just said it. You can move him anywhere. You can play anywhere. He's got good hands. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most physical wide receiver, but he's he's got good hands. Excellent route running, and he's got a quarterback that trusts him enough that regardless of what the coverage is on him, he trusts that Antonio Brown is going to find ways to make plays. doesn't matter one-on-one, triple coverage. Brown is still a threat to, to, to catch passes from pretty much anywhere on the field. Now, he's on pace this season for a career high in touchdowns with his yardage is down. Now, when people think of Antonio Brown, they think of him making long plays down the field, spectacular touchdown grabs. What they may not realize is that his average yards per catch this season is only 12 yards. Yeah, that's the lowest that he's had of any recent season in his career. But he averages seven catches per game and has a 69% complete reception rate. The way that they utilize him now compared to years past, because I think because they have a guy like Sandy Coates, Sammy Coates can now be there, just go long and get it, guy. Darius Hayward Bay can do the same thing. They're allowing Antonio Brown to work more of those underneath routes where the, because of the accuracy of Big Ben, he's got a higher chance of completing those tight end passes, and he knows that with Antonio Brown's athletic ability, he can get giant chunks of yards after the catch. And that's what they've been doing to teams all season. Then, of course, he can, he's always good for at least one just highlight real touchdown. I mean, did you see the one he had this last weekend where he just got his elbow in? I, I totally like just, missed that. Just, oh, my God. It's, it's, it's ridiculous the body control that this guy has when he's in the air to go high point a ball. I mean, he's, he's one of the most complete receivers in football. and It's just incredible watching him play. Our team cannot get focused on just watching Antonio Brown because of all these other weapons that the Steelers have. But then again, it's like pick your poison. Who do you focus? Because you can't double cover everybody. So, I mean, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of a defensive game plan they can cook up to try to slow all of these different receivers down. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. One of the biggest storylines to watch in the game is going to be how a rushing attack fares against their defense. The playbook is out on Buffalo, right? Can we both agree on that, Chris? I mean, if you need to stop the Buffalo Bills offense, you pretty much know how to go about it. Didn't the Ravens... Clog the running lanes. I was going to say, didn't the Ravens do it on, in week one? Didn't they say after the game, well, we wanted Tyrod to beat us from inside the pocket? Oh, absolutely. And, that's, and that is the recipe for success. I mean, you saw the Raiders do it in the second half of this week's game. Yep. Just make Tyrod Taylor play... But make Tyrod Taylor win the game with his arm. Don't give us chunk yardage on the ground. It's absurd that, you know, it's that easy to take us apart. But the reason this concerns me is because the Steelers are the sixth best rushing defense in the NFL. When you figure the teams that they've played, they've played the Chiefs, they've played, you know, they, they played the Ravens, who had a big rushing day against them uh, early on in the season. I mean, you look at some of the teams they've gone up against, not all of these teams were slouches running the football. Yeah. And yet, you know, 
they've found ways to, to stop the run when they've had to. You know, but then again, against some of the better rushing teams, like Miami against Dallas, they got absolutely destroyed by the running game. And so I, I don't know who we're going to see. But I like the way they're set up on defense. I mean, Cam Hayward, they're you know, a very good defensive end. He's out for the season on IR. But they're still loaded with talent. Their linebackers, you've got a mix of veterans and young talent. You've got Lawrence Timmons, former first-round draft pick Bud Dupree, former first-round draft pick Ryan Shazier. You've got uh, James Harrison. is still running around making plays for their defense. I mean, is that guy ever going to retire? Probably not. I mean, it's ridiculous. They've got the right, this, just this mix of run-stopping ability, coverage ability, pass-rushing finesse. It's just incredible. And then you look at their front set, and you look at their defensive line. As long as we're talking about front seven, is it Stefan or is it Steven? I don't know, but to it, their defensive end. Everything I read about him, people claim he's having a fantastic year. And, you know, that he's in line for a big contract extension. I mean, they remind me of a poor man's version of the Raiders' front seven. Solid against the run with enough experience and speed on the outsides to still threaten you from a pass rush perspective. And their interior linebackers are decent in both run support and pass support. So there aren't any glaring weaknesses to try to exploit here, it would seem like, in their front se- in that front seven. Now, I, a lot of people are going to make a big deal about how they, you know, they shut down the Giants' offense. This last game against the Giants, the Giants have possibly the worst offensive line in football. So I'm not shocked that they weren't able to get anything going against the Steelers because the Steelers have proven capable of you know, shutting down the run, the run game. And because of that, the Giants were forced to be a one-dimensional offense, which if you do to any team in football, makes it difficult to win. So I expect that the Steelers are going to do that to the Buffalo Bills, or at least they're going to try. They're going to come out in a lot of base 3-4 defense, probably even some you know, 4-6, maybe some bear look, a lot of single high safety with extra players in the box, because they, they, they recognize what a threat LeSean McCoy is. You know, they see what we're doing with our rushing attack, and I, I can promise you that their onus is going to be taking that away from us. They, they, they probably don't fear our ability to beat them deep, considering their lack of weapons outside of Sammy Watkins. And they've got some good quarterbacks. I mean, it's, it's just, I don't even know how to approach this, because I could sit here and I could spew statistics at you guys, and I could tell you everything I think about their defense, and about where I think we could beat them and why, what statistics says that there's a matchup to be taken advantage of. But I did the same thing last week. And against one of the worst defenses in football, we found a way to blow it. So I, I, honestly, I'm not going to waste my breath or your time. All I'm going to say is that our offense is going to have its hands full with this defense. They're going to come with a game plan in mind. And we have to be ready and prepared to try to make plays against it. And Tyrod Taylor is going to have to get himself going. Their secondary aren't slouches either. But we're going to have to find ways to get in there and make plays. Hey, you know, um, I'm going to tell you right now, your keys to victory here is that that I'm looking at. I I feel like you're missing uh, a key to victory. And it's something that we say all the time with Jerry Hughes. Pittsburgh's bound to make a dumb penalty for 15 yards. So I would assume you got to take advantage 
of that opportunity because we know it's going to come, whether it's Mike Tomlin tripping somebody as they run down the sidelines or a, sh- a, sh- a, sh- a late hit out of bounds. Steelers are always well, good you, for a 15. When you've got guys like James Harrison on your defense, there's going to be, you know, Mike Mitchell, like you're talking about guys who play with a little bit of an edge. So, yeah, there always is that, you know, there's that possibility that you're going to get a call or two. You know, they're going to make plays out of frustration. They're going to do things. You've got to be able to capitalize. You're right. We cannot get ourselves in penalty trouble. We absolutely cannot do that. You know, if we do, we're signing our own death warrant because they have an offense that can take advantage of any extra opportunities we give. My other keys to victory, first, for me, it's stopping Le'Veon Bell. When I think of how we're going to beat this team, I mean, he's averaging 100 yards rushing and over 120 all-purpose yards through their three-game winning streak, which he wasn't doing when they were struggling before. If we can't make their offense one-dimensional, Things could get ugly really fast for us. You know who I'm going to be watching in this game? Who? I'm going to be watching how Shaq Lawson does in the run game. Yeah, no, Shaq Lawson has been really good for us. I mean, the, I think easing him in was the right decision to make because he's been, I mean, his sacks have kind of tapered off. But, I mean, last week he was against one of the best offensive lines in football right now. And... You know, before that, he's only playing a handful of snaps a game. But the more work he gets, you see him make plays against the run. Like he's not—he's absolutely not a liability in that aspect. So it's going to be interesting to watch him grow over the course of these next few games. See what you know, see what he can bring to the table for us. Because any help we can get from that position right now—I mean, our defensive ends after starting the season hot when it came to pressure and sacks—we've really kind of cooled down. And so. I think that, and I think more of that comes from them trying to, you know, set the edge more in the running game. Maybe they're not sending as much pressure. Maybe we're not in position to send pressure as much because teams have the lead on us, so they're trying to throw. Whatever the case is, we got to find a way, or we got to find a way to get it going. And I think anything Shaq Lawson can bring to the table, in either the running game or the passing game, is going to pay dividends for. And that leads to my next point: consistent pressure. You know, in the first half, we got pressure on Derek Carr. And the result was that we held their offense to field goal. When we sat back and tried to rush three and play coverage, he carved us up. The same thing is going to happen this week if we can't find a way to generate pressure with just our defensive line. A gap pressure, again, that's going to be it's going to be huge for our success against another offense with a good quarterback who knows how to step up in the pocket. You have to take that pocket away. And unfortunately, this season we just haven't been able to do it. And then I think the last key to victory, offensive composure. We absolutely, just positively, cannot afford to play like the team that we saw in the second half against the Raiders. We fell apart because the the defense of the Raiders committed to shutting down the run, and our quarterback just could not make the necessary throws to take advantage of receivers when they were open. Now, I know that some of the sacks that we took, some of the plays that couldn't be made, was just good coverage by their defense. I'll give them that. I know at least one of their sacks was a covered sack. But ultimately, you're looking at, we, we can't have these lapses. We just can't have it. You cannot have an entire half of football where you don't score points, or an entire, you know, or an entire quarter, or just a giant chunk of the game where we're not converting third downs and just wearing out our defense. Because against an offense as explosive as they are, you're asking for 
you're asking for trouble. Okay? When it comes down to it, no, no cute calls, no scrambling around for 10 seconds and ending up with sacks, none of the bullshit. Maintain your composure, go out there and do what you gotta do, or our season is effectively over. That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've gotta keep our composure! We've gone too far! There's too much to lose! We've gotta just keep our composure! Drew, what do you have for a prediction for Sunday? My prediction for Sunday. I've been picking the Buffalo Bills to win every week, and most of the time they disappoint me. I'm going to say that the Steelers squeak this one out and effectively end our season, although not mathematically. They're going to they're, they're gonna end any realistic hopes of the playoffs that we have with a 28-17 to 17 victory. That's a, I think that's a little high scoring for uh, the amount of snow that is expected. You know, if that weather report actually holds true, I'm going to base my score on the weather, and I think Pittsburgh wins a somewhat close one, 17 to 13. 17 13. Larry Evans, folks, those are the Rockpile Reports picks for this week. So, guys, before we get out of here, I want to make you all aware that coming up here two weeks from now, December 20th, the Rockpile Report is going to have its annual Festivus celebration. And as always, it, the Festivus, I mean, Festivus cannot be celebrated without an airing of grievances. So I, would, I encourage all of you listeners out there, whether it's on Twitter at Rockpile Report, Gmail at uh, RockpileReport716 at gmail.com, whether it's on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Rockpile Report. Get a hold of us and let us know what is, what are some of your grievances against the Buffalo Bills in 2016? We're gonna go. We're gonna take all of the submissions we get. We're gonna read the best, funniest, most depressing. We're gonna we're gonna read the best of them on the air on our show on December 20th. So go ahead and give us a shout out and let us know what you think and what you have. Chris, do you have anything? Not really. I just can't wait to get back to Buffalo. I'm going to the uh, Cincinnati Cyclones Fort Wayne Comets ECHL game tomorrow night. Oh, oh boy! I'm sure that'll be a barn burner. Well, yeah, I'm going to buy a fifteen dollar <laughs> ticket. I'll buy a fifteen dollar ticket like behind the glass. I mean, it's going to be a Wednesday night in Cincinnati. I'd only expect you know maybe two to three thousand people at the game. You know, I would probably would actually enjoy like maybe going to Elmira with you to watch the Jackals because there have been times when I lived in Atlanta and I went to an Atlanta Gladiators game like during the week and there was just no one there and there was always that asshole behind the net that would stand up and yell something and you just knew the players could hear it. <laughs> you know, that sounds like a good time. Speaking of good times. This, for anyone who's uh, following the Sabres game right now, the Buffalo Sabres have just blown a two-goal lead with 10 minutes to go in the third and are now losing 3-2. to two. And for that $15, Chris, that you're going to pay for that ticket, just think, you could have been at a Jets game. You could have been at a Jets game. <laughs> Folks, we're going to end it on that note. <laughs> we're going to end it on that note. For everybody out there, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and this has been the Rock Power Report. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. 